Well, good morning. I'm so glad you are here. I'm really happy to be here with you. I'm Dwayne, and on behalf of the staff, I want to welcome you guys to our live stream again this morning. Uh, if you don't know, I am the Connections Pastor here, and what that really means this morning is I am missing all of you. This is an empty room, but I know you're there, out there in camera land, so hi and hello, and uh, I'm missing you this morning, but eager, eager to get into God's Word with you. As you heard me mention in our prayer, I am not sure what your week has been like. I am guessing that with everything that's been going on in our church and in our world, that it probably has not been the best week of your life. And I wonder how many people watching this live stream today could say with me that you could use a few good days right about now. Just a few. Maybe you could post that in. I could, I could use a good day. You could put that in the chat. I imagine that all of us could say that. In addition to our personal problems, the troubles of this world have increased to the point that the social and political drama has now touched the most sacred parts of church life. People who aren't apathetic to the theater of human experience have now become either more anxious or agitated or aggressive or, let's face it, more annoying about the situations that they do not like. This lockdown has changed church people. We have already made the case from this pulpit. We joined with many people that would remind us that this is not persecution, not what we see around the world, but we are struggling nonetheless. We are struggling with people, mostly with people who do not see the world the way we do. You struggle with people that don't see the world as the way you do either. And it's harder now to get along. The niceties associated with life as normal are the only things that have been allowed to go on vacation. The rest of us are stuck living under the rising pressures of this struggle. The unsolicited continual airing of opinions is just tiring. And the unchecked practice of doing this acts like a wedge, driving Christians apart at a time when we should be comforted from coming, by coming together. There is now an uneasy fellowship for those of us who find ourselves mingling with people who have opposing views. And making matters worse, we are more aware of the gaping space between the spirituality of the world and the Christianity, the Christ-centered, redemptive work and ministry of Christ in our lives, that kind of thing of the church. We are not always sure how to serve God and country anymore. And our peace has always been predicated on that understanding. So in a, in a way, these are bad times for all of us. And it's fair to admit that we want to see some good days. And not just the good days that Jesus has promised us when he returns, but we're looking forward to those blessed moments that are possible for us now as we wait on him. That's how I've been feeling, and I, I imagine that many of you are feeling the same way, and I'm so thankful that God's Word, God's Word speaks to our lives from the pages of these Scripture. And I found direction this week as I've been in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 to 12, which we're going to study together this morning. If you've been following with us for a while, if you've been following my sermons at all, uh, you'll know that I've been working my way through this book. Peter has written to believers in the struggle. 
they face persecution, which is the ultimate form of pressure from people. So we know that these words that are here are going to speak to us as well. So I hope you're ready. Get everything you need. Get to where you want to be and get focused on God's word because I I believe he's going to speak to us this morning. So let's go. If you are tired of the struggle with people and you want to see good days, here's the first tip from this passage. Be in love with God's people. Be in love with God's people. As we land in this passage, we're going to see in a moment, we're catching Peter explaining the values that Christians bring to their relationships. And actually, these are the values that Jesus brings to relationships through us as we submit to him, even when it's hard to do so. Peter has already addressed specific relationships, particularly marriage and and those of relationships within a society before, and now he comes to a point of summary with instructions for us all. He says in verse 8 of chapter 3, finally, all of you have unity of mind and sympathy and brotherly love and tenderheartedness and a humble mind. This is God's goal for the church that wants to see good days. So I want you to look at your Bible, and I want you to look at this word finally, because in this section you'll notice Peter's moving between ideas, but he's not just using a transitionary word. He's using a word that implies of an end, of a goal. He's using this Greek word telos, which has rich meaning. And you can see in this definition that will be posted for you that it means to set out for a definite point or a goal. It's a point that we aim at. It's a limit. It's, It's this kind of ultimate goal. And Peter's already used this term to talk about the end, the outcome of our faith. He's talking about things that are far off and and our life that aims towards those ideals. This word, telos, is underneath the word that Jesus said from the cross when he was not looking at his situation, but he was looking at the future. When he exclaimed, it is finished, he was talking about this word, that it's done. He has reached the aim that his father had set him out for. So this is an important word of transition. It tells us to pay attention to these things. So what Peter has to say in verse 8 represents what we aim at in uncommon community. And if you don't know our lingo, uncommon community is what we call Christian fellowship or Christian friendship. So let's get into that with looking at these five words. Here are five tension-relieving expressions of uncommon community that can kind of help us as we go through these days together. Unity of mind, which means agreement, essentially. It's the idea of intentional cooperation. Listen, even with varied opinions, we prefer, we love, we try to work together. So that brings some relief. Then there's sympathy. That's the next word that Peter mentions, which is the idea of no emotional isolation. That sounds so good. No emotional isolation. You're not left alone to feel all your feelings. We feel sorrow and joys with you. We feel fear and frustrations with you, particularly as you share them with us. We're not perfect at this. No one's perfect at this. But in in our fellowship, in our friendship, in uncommon community, no one's alone in these feelings, especially as they reach out. We hope and always pray that we'll have responses to those things. Then there's brotherly love or goodwill, which is the idea of mutual peace, the expectations of support and trust. 
It's exemplified in the relationships of David and Jonathan in the Bible, or Ruth and Naomi, classic relationships of, of friendship based on a mutual view of Jesus Christ, or a mutual view of God. It's, it's there in the early church of Acts, after the days of Pentecost, when people met in their houses full of joy, and they shared everything, and they had everything in common. It's there, perhaps, in a Christian family. Maybe it's at your house this morning, and, and sometimes maybe it disappears for a little while. Sometimes it may not seem that there's brotherly love in your own house, and when that happens in my house, because we have a normal house just like everyone else's house, I just remind our family that, hey, we are on the same team. And then there's this other word, tenderheartedness or affection, and it's a fun word in Greek. It doesn't really translate into one English term. It's, it's a throwback to a philosophy in, in first century Greek culture where they didn't think that emotions came from their hearts. They thought it came from their stomach. And, and we have ideas like this, that you get a, a sense in your gut. You get butterflies in your stomach. You, you have this emotional core. And there was a great value there. And, and it's, he's saying we, we experience our relationships from the core. But it's kind of summarized in this word affection, emotional vulnerability, a gut-level sensitivity, an obvious fondness for one another. I think of how many times I've watched people come into this building and, and they see a friend and, and they just move towards them and you know that there's affection there, there's a warmth. But I can see it also when I see grandparents interacting with grandchildren, the smiles and, and the tenderness to them. It's like this, people. In the church, we're meant to have a bent towards blessing each other. We're meant to be bent towards that. And then finally in, the, in our list, it's a humble mind, humility. A willingness to be the low one. A, willing to, a willingness to be the least. A willingness to be in the last place. It's about having a readjusted view of yourself based on a true view of Jesus Christ. This is what enables us to wash feet, to pick up a towel and do the things that seem messy. In our church, it means it, en it enables us to clean up after another person's mess. It allows us to elevate others by how we serve them. I think of my mom in that last thought of, of times in my own life when she has elevated me by how she served me. And I'm thankful for that. Church, to see good days, we have to work together as a community of people that have been infused with and informed by the Holy Spirit of God. If we are facing struggles as Christians in the world, how important is it that we can come to church and experience friendship together as a community? And it's not just where we hope and plan for it to happen. Yes, we have strategies. We want you to sense these things in our small groups. We want our staff to sense these things as we've employed them to work together. We want people to sense these things on our teams and in our study groups and even in your ad hoc so social circles around your barbecues and, and different things like that when we have time to do that. But now it has to happen in all the interactions that we have everywhere, in our gestures, in our tonality, in our posture, the same five traits that we offer in this scripture that we're offered, we need to put those into practice when we are standing beside or near people that are beside us, Christians that we know. We need to offer those to people in the Zoom room. I heard Roger encouraging you this morning about all those that were saying hi to each other. That's so great to see. A silent room makes no sense when it's the church gathered in love. 
We have to offer these on telephone calls. You may not like the telephone, but we have to offer it there. We have to offer it on our social media pages, whatever platform you use. I, I wanted to name Facebook, but that just gives away my age. There are lots of ways in which we interact, and we need to put those, those values into place there with each other. We also need to do it when we're posting in our private chat groups as well. You know this, but we need to be reminded And also in our church, as we continue to grow, it's not always possible for us to feel close. So we have to remember that we are deeply connected by Christ. And our response to the pressure and temptation under these days to separate according to similar opinions, that would be easy to separate according to similar opinions, needs to be overcome by a choice to fall deeper in love with God's people. I love how Reverend William Barclay puts it in the book that I'm using to help me as I study this. He has described unity in the church this way. Our good days are those in which powerful tensions are held together by an overmastering loyalty. I love that, overmastering loyalty and strong antipathies of race and color, the things that divide us, race and color, temperament and taste, social positions and economic interest are overcome in common worship, in common obedience, uncommon community. It's what we're aiming at. It's what helps us in these days. It's what brings relief to the tension that we've been feeling. So if you're tired of the struggle with people and you want to see good days, be in love with God's people. But it doesn't stop there. Be in love with God's people and stop retaliating over offenses. That's the next part we're going to see if we move on in this scripture. Peter is now bridging scenarios between the church world and the non-church world. These are struggle scenarios. We can struggle in the church and we can struggle outside of the church. We know that it doesn't matter. We can be offended anywhere by anyone, right? That can happen. It can be with a believer. It can be with an atheist. It can be from a spouse. It could be from a child. It can be a sibling. It could be your boss, an ally, an enemy, a friend, or a stranger. In general, this verse applies across the board. But in, in this context, we know Peter is thinking particularly about those who would pick on Christians. So he writes to them in verse 9, the first part, Do not return evil for evil or reviling for reviling. If you're not sure what reviling means, it means insult. Or, or despising someone, or that whole activity of just casting them low. Now, if you're living in that situation, that's a difficult situation to live through. But here's what, what I want you to understand with this word that God is speaking to your heart in this moment. He wants to be in your head and in your heart to provide redirection for you when you are thinking about retaliating. At that moment when you are forced to suffer a great injustice, you really need God's help. And this is when, as I've said before, grace matters most. We know that our reactions to injustice happen quickly, right? We get triggered and we get angry and we can share this emotion of anger. An article published by the Smithsonian Magazine about the speed of emotions, can you imagine that? The speed of emotions cites a study that was done in China on, their ver- on a version of Twitter, and they, they found this. It said that joy moves faster than sadness or disgust 
But nothing is speedier than rage. Nothing is speedier than rage. And in that study, it's rage particularly related to real or perceived injustice. Why is swift retaliation so fast? It's almost like retaliation is our natural response. It's the instinctive behavior related to the anger feeling that we have. But why are we like this? Why does this happen? I believe part of the answer seems to be that we share God's emotional response to injustice, which is always evil, because it insults his image. Every human being reflects the image of God, our creator, and all human life is valuable to him because he made us all. And so when we abuse one another, he gets angry about that, and our anger in part reflects his. But listen, his judge, justice and his judgment is not reflected in our evil or reviling responses. Our words and our actions attempt to ruin a person that God wants to redeem. If we retaliate based on our, our, our feelings with no regard to, the, to God, we make an idol of ourselves in that moment. We use the excuse of offense to play God. And then we offer a judgmental word or an action that is inconsistent with his will or his character. And if you think about all that I've just said, you'll understand this is why it's wrong for us to retaliate. We don't do it the way God would do it. This command means that God is judge and we are not. Our response to evil and reviling must always be consistent with the great commission and the great commandments of Jesus Christ. Even when treated unjustly, we have to promote the gospel of redemption for sinners because we were the sinners that were redeemed. Even when offended, we have to love God and love people. Peter reminds us of this example earlier on in, in, this, in this book, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21-23. Just uh, lift your eyes a little bit in your, in your Bible or scroll back up and see where these have been there. We could come to this example over and over and over again in this series of sermons that I've done. But it says this in that, in that passage, for to, you, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he continued entrusting himself to, the, to him who judges justly. <clears throat> Retaliation is antithetical to Christ's example, and therefore it subverts his mission to our own agenda. In verses 10 to 12, Peter continues to elaborate on this, on this teaching by bringing forward Psalm 34, and he works it a little bit for this situation. In, that, in those verses, we're going to see that he brings warnings of, uh, to keep our tongues from evil, our lips from deceit, and he reminds us to put our efforts towards peace. But we also get to have our hearts settled about the indignity of injustice. Because we know God will address these problems in his time and in his way. Look at your Bibles again and see at verse 10 that it says, Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceit. 
Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. If you would see good days then, you need to be in love with God's people, need to stop retaliating, and you need to bless the world because of your calling. Now listen, let's slow it down again. God wants to redirect you. He wants to radically redirect you when you desire to retaliate. Peter completes the thought of verse 9 by saying, On the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. There is no doubt in my mind that the church will obtain the inheritance of eternal life that Jesus has promised us. Peter is mindful of what is to come, but his focus is on what we must do while we wait on those things. So he instructs the church, which is facing struggles with people, and on top of that persecution, they were new, they were scattered. He instructs them to return blessing for offense. When people called them a name, he wanted, to remind, he wanted the church to remind them of the name above every name. When people treated them like they were unworthy, he wanted the church to treat them to a relationship with the worthy one. To make an impact with the gospel message, the church does what the world would never anticipate. We offer God's blessing to the person. We offer God's blessing to the people whose offensive behavior tempts us into sinful reaction. And this instruction is not limited to that church back then. These aren't just ancient words for an ancient church. These are relevant words that apply to every generation of the church, including ours and all that will come. To bless can mean simply that we speak well of people, even when they've spoken poorly of us. We ask God to be gracious and merciful toward them. We offer prayers on their behalf. I love that heart of the campaign, prayforyou.ca. That we would, we would be here as a church and be able to say, we are willing to take your needs and your pain and your hurt before our Lord and do this on behalf to try to intercede for you. Even if you didn't want to talk to the Lord yourself, we will talk to him for you. We pray on their behalf. We help them practically. Blessing people means that we treat them to the best of what God has already shared with us. So here's my question in this moment. Pay attention. Think about this. I'll give you like half a second to talk about it. What is the best that we sinners have received from our God? What is the best that we have received from our God? It's the blessing. It's the blessing of forgiveness and the offering of peace that has come in Jesus' name. 
Forgiveness is the high point and the pivot of this passage. It's what underlines the idea of on the contrary. See, when we've been offended, if we hadn't been forgiven, if we hadn't received this forgiveness, if we never knew the love of Jesus Christ as sinners, we might just respond in our quick anger and come up with something that curses that person. We might come up with something that tries to end that person, that tries to ruin that person, but our God is a redeeming one, and in that same moment, he wants to redeem them. And so he shifts our hearts, he changes the focuses of our lives, and he says, I'm going to train you, I'm going to reshape you so that you can minister with me and offer redemption to that person that's treating you in an unjust way. You can offer redemption in a situation that seems unjust and is unbearable. And it comes through forgiveness. Sincere blessing requires sincere forgiveness. We have to understand that our calling is to offer forgiveness because we received it, but we never deserved it. And Peter has already elaborated on this calling. So no matter what is said about you or done towards you, remember these things from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 to 10. Wonderful verse. But you are a chosen race, church. You are a royal priesthood now, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into marvelous light, his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, we were not Harvest Bible Chapel. We were not the church. We were not Christians. But now we are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now... You have received mercy. And if you have received mercy, you can show mercy. Blessing people who have sinned against us and who do not yet know God's mercy is part of our mission. Maybe it's the whole thing. In this way, we are all evangelists of the gospel and we can all demonstrate the miracle of a changed and a grateful heart. When you are focused on this truth, and full of the Holy Spirit, you are capable of responding to evil and injustice with grace and mercy and ministry. You can respond to the people you struggle against in inspiring ways. And our world responds to that kind of blessing with amazement and awe. That same study which I referred to described awe as as feelings of wonder and excitement that come from encountering great beauty or knowledge. And forgiveness like that inspires awe. And here's what they found out, that rage moved fast, but awe moved faster. It moves faster than rage and anger. And it's shared in a broader sense online, and probably in the world. And, and that's why we continue to be fascinated with Jesus Christ. Nothing is more awe-inspiring than blessing that goes far beyond what any person has deserved. While we were yet sinners, Romans proclaims, Paul proclaims in the book of Romans, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's mercy. That's blessing. Blessing someone who has sinned against you is evidence of God's work in your life. But don't wait to bless the world only if they offend you first. Offer God's mercy simply because you know it's desperately needed. Bless your children, parents, in the way you parent them. And kids, bless your parents in the way 
so that your behavior honors them. Everybody, bless your employers in the way you carry out your work. Bless your government by the way you communicate with them, or at least by the way you talk about them. Remind people that you have an authority that you respect. If you if you've been into watching the, the things that have been broadcast to us, remember that we still have to show this by blessing our police force, by showing respect for the authority and appreciation for the risks they take. No, we're not always ex- happy when they show up in our lives, but we can be appreciate that there are people that need redemption and they're encountering people that have been shaped by a relationship with the living God. So what do we have to say for them, to them? How can we do that? Bless your neighbors with undue kindness. Bless friends and family that think your opinion about masks or vaccines or measures is wrong. Bless the people who persecute you for your faith or make fun of you for it or belittle it in front of you. And do it from a settled position of appreciation for all that Christ has done to bless you. And please, as you think about this, be glad for the opportunity to display the gospel and the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. We have been saved, and that is a joy. And when we have a chance to show that through our words and our actions, we should be glad. This is our calling. Author Frederick Beekner was writing to advise people who are looking to, to bring blessing into their vocation as a calling. And he gives us this insight, and I think we can come to a close with this. He writes, The place that God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meets. Right now, I know the world is hungry for good days. And I know that we're in a place that many can describe as a struggle with people or maybe just a struggle with life, and it's hard and you're tired. But the scriptures tell us, our God speaks to us this morning, and he and says, if you would see good days, be in love with God's people, stop retaliating over offenses, and bless the world because of your calling. Well, amen to that. I hope you can add your amen to that message. Let me pray for you. Father, I don't just pray for the church. I pray for all of us. God, we are asking you for good days. We're asking you to lift these restrictions. We're asking you for allowing, to allow us to go back to life, not as normal, but life as you planned it, life for us to continue to move on, not just for the church, Lord, but for our our community that we're part of. We could pray that. Lord, these challenges have affected our friendships. They've affected our relationships in our home. Lord, sometimes they're even touching our marriages. There are hard things to work through, Lord. Forgive us as a church when we've let the politics of this moment or the pressure of this moment seep into our relationships and and be used as a wedge. Lord, would you help us to bring that to an end? In Jesus' name, we ask for those things. God, we ask also that you would give us a great ministry. Lord, that we would have a gladness that is still here because it's based on something to come that's eternal that has not been touched by anything we've seen, and it never will be. God, can we live out that calling to bless people in this moment by introducing them to the one 
who has helped us through and given us a focus to something that's beyond this. Lord, would you give us strength to do that? Remind us when we want to get angry, when we want to get away and only be with people we, we want to be with. Lord, call us back to ministry. Help us to bless. We pray all this in your name, which we represent with gladness. Jesus Christ. Amen.